1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to another exciting edition of the Parastyle Podcast. This is a Trojan Blast recruiting version of our Parastyle Podcast. We haven't done one for a while. We have Gerard Martinez, our USCfootball.com national recruiting analyst, joining us on the show. we got a bunch of questions to get to. We're going to try to get to all those and let Gerard share his knowledge on USC recruiting with all of us. Hey Gerard, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's an exciting addition. I'm excited to figure out how I'm going to truncate all this information into an hour. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, information. we got a lot of questions. And there were three major events since, at least since our last podcast. Uh, there was the B2G elite camp that we were out there in force. There was also the USC Rising Stars camp with tons of players out of state, top notch players from all across the country. Coming to USC, we are not allowed to cover that, but we, of course, made a lot of phone calls and got updates and put a bunch of stuff there. And then the opening uh, was also going on up there in Beaverton, Oregon, and Gerard was there covering uh, that one. You have to check out, certainly, check out uscfootball.com. We can't count the number of stories and videos and uh, all the the information we posted in the war rooms and on the peristyle from all of those events. Um, so we can't, we're not, there's no way we're going to be able to cover all those here in a single podcast, but if you check out uscfootball.com, uh, especially on the peristyle, lots of links in there, you can get to all the information on what the recruits were talking about, uh, where USC ranks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the the most recent event, Gerard, uh, was the opening. Um, I didn't get to go up to that one, but you were up there. So maybe kind of get a few thoughts of, of what you thought of how the opening went this year.
2: Uh, it went well. It was definitely a lot different than last year's event where you had a lot of USC commitments and then you had a lot of guys that were on the cusp of becoming USC commitments and obviously USC being preseason number one, a lot of hype, uh, Matt Barkley coming back as a Heisman Trophy candidate. I'm um, completely different this year. Tola Lobendon being the only actual verbal commitment that was uh, there at the start of the opening. USC did end up getting a verbal commitment from linebacker Derek Calhoun by the end of the opening. So they ended up having two verbal commitments. Um, definitely a different feel, but I think overall the one thing that I tried to emphasize in, in uh, several of the you know, analytical pieces just reviewing the opening was USC's brand is still very strong nationally. Um, kind of surprisingly so. I guess you kind of get caught up in the sanctions and the bad season and, you know, Lane Kiffin being on the hot seat and, yeah, they're not going to be able to recruit this well and they're not going to be able to get the four or five star guys that they usually get. I mean, if USC is able to go out there and have a great season, they're going to have a great recruiting class, period. Because there are just a lot of guys in Florida, Louisiana, a few guys in Georgia that all talked about USC, talked about going to USC for an official visit. And granted, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get those guys' official visits or just, you know, kind of a step in the right direction. But the fact that those kids are still intrigued enough about USC speaks well for the future of the program. And that was kind of, I guess, maybe the biggest thing that I got from it. Yeah, USC was not the buzz school. It wasn't the school everybody was talking about, but it's still a school on a lot of the top players' minds.
1: All right. Um, Well, let's jump into some of these questions then, and we can get to... uh... I think we can touch on stuff that we saw at the opening, or uh, the Beachy G Elite Camp, or Rising Stars, or, or there will definitely be some overlap. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm
2: some... sure, I'm sure some of these questions are going to kind of, uh, you know, give me an opportunity to probably talk a little bit more specifically uh, about those events. So yeah, fire away.
1: All right, well let's go. Let's go international because we love those. Mac D from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, he said over the weekend at the opening, Chris Houston, aka the Heisman pundit. Uh, so he's a Heisman, he runs heismanpundit.com, and he uh, works for CBS Sports. Um, we, he's been he's been on the site, the Peristyle, for, for years and years. But he said, over the weekend, uh, Chris Houston was critical of the evaluating and testing part at the opening. He questioned the vertical measurements with the pad as it looks sketchy. And he's talking about where players, when they test vertical leap, it's not reaching up and touching something. It's how long you stay in the air. So you, you jump on a pad, and they – that times the time that you left, the time you land. Uh, A responder said about the pad is it uses sensors to time when you leave the ground and when you land, bend your knees uh, through the landing, and you can get an extra four to six inches on your your vertical leap. He also mentioned the fact that the 40-yard dash uses a person with a hand timer to start the clock, which means it's never accurate. As well, there was no mention of a wind gauge. Um, For an event that prides itself on being the best testing place for athleticism, Why do they use equipment methods that have major flaws? That's uh, from MACD in Vancouver.
2: Wow. Well, I'm certainly not uh, a representative of Nike, and I can't speak to spark testing um, in exacts when it comes to the equipment. I think it's high school football, and there's still this sense that to make it interesting, I think, for the public, the testing scores have to be in the realm that are referenced to the NFL game and what people see at the NFL combine. Truth be told, you know, the faster times you're going to see from high schoolers are are probably four or fives, high four fives, four six. Those are probably the fastest times you would see if you're looking at this and you're putting in the context of same exact equipment and you're paralleling how the NFL guys do it at the combine and you put those high schoolers in that same environment. We see it a little bit at the Army All American Combine because they use laser testing and a lot of the kids scratch their times because it's four six, four three. And these are guys that at their high schools are running four three. And so when you're talking about a four six and all of a sudden you you know four seven and the kids going, that's that's crazy. I, I, I'm a four three eight guy. Well, you're a four three eight guy in the thirty eight yard dash with your high school coach, who's just <laughs> kind of here with the hand time running downhill. And so it's it's a different thing. And I think to keep people a little more aware of what's going on and interested in what's going on, the numbers are, are, are maybe put in a different context, and it would be the hardcore. You know, this is the NFL Combine, and and these guys are you know going to be millionaires here, and everybody wants to know the exact uh, you know measurements of every kid and every person that comes through the combine. I think with this, it's more of a relative thing. I think you're looking at you know who's the fastest guy of the event because the opening is the best of the best. I mean, you have a a hundred and fifty guys. And you got all your four-star and all your five-star guys. There's a couple guys that aren't there, you know, every year. A guy like maybe, you know, Drew Bill Peppers who doesn't go to any camps. But for the most part, you got the best of the best. So you're really, I think, more relatively looking at those guys and comparing them side-by-side. Side. You know, with the, the vertical leap, a lot of criticism came because Speedy Norrell, uh, a receiver from New Orleans that USC's recruiting, he jumped a 45.3-inch vertical. And that's you know, literally a better vertical leap than I think uh, the record of the NBA combine, which I think <laughs> is like 44-6. So obviously people are going to be very skeptical of that. They're going to be very uh, critical of, of the message and, and how they're not necessarily accurate. But again... I think you kind of have to look more relatively as you know how did Speedy Noel do to the next best receiver at the event, and you're really you're really comparing that way um, because it is kind of a made for TV thing. And at the end, you know when they start doing forties and what have you, you know you start to see guys are they're running a little faster, maybe. Um, you know, one guy I, I I can't remember who it was went from running like a four five five and then his. Next time was uh, like a four-four flat, almost like a four-three-nine, and that was a huge jump. And so obviously you're going. well, this? A wind? I mean, what? What's you just? That's that's a little more of a jump than you would see um, under normal testing. You know, if you're going on NFL combine, you're going to an event where people are scrutinizing it much more. So again, I, I think it's more of a relative thing. I don't get caught up in the numbers so much. Like, oh well, that's not really a 4.38. That should be you know six tenths of a second less because of this, that, and the other. You know what? How fast was he compared to the next guy? And I think what it does is it makes an environment for these kids that um it's very competitive and i think at the end of the day that's really what it's about
1: yeah certainly i mean it's i, I don't think you can go in and compare that ver- someone's vertical leap at the at you know during spark testing to someone else's that is you know actually like at the what we saw at the uh, army all-american combine things like that like it's it's just a different measurement but they are compared the same to each other so i think you can you know the spark champion's probably a really good athlete and uh but, you know, you kind of, if they all do the same thing, then that's how you kind of keep the comparisons going there. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's go to a voicemail question. Uh, here's our buddy uh, from back east. He has another question for you, Gerard. Here you go. J.D. from D.C. calling with a defensive end recruiting question for Gerard. Uh, I know we've got Malota on board, and guys like Dorton, Frazier, Johnson, and Humphrey are showing us some love. Uh, Anybody else out there who looks
2: like
0: a real possibility at USC?
2: Well, okay, uh, there's a few names there. As far as defensive ends go, it's always an interesting question because of what USC is doing scheme-wise right now. Uh, they have the 5-2. So are we talking defensive ends or are we talking outside linebackers? Because Dorton is really going to be more of an outside linebacker in college. Um, Jalen Johnson, uh, 6'3", 220-ish pounds uh, from Crony Centennial, also received a scholarship offer at the Rising Stars camp he's going to be more of an outside linebacker. Both of those players play with their hand down in high school, but you're looking at a guy that's in that 230-pound range, 6'3", 6'4". That's become the new outside linebacker in the 5'2 defense, whereas before in the 4'3 defense, you look at those guys as weak side defensive ends. So if we're talking defensive ends, I do think Austin Malata is a defensive end. We saw him at the B2G elite camp. He's a good 6'3". He's got to be more closer to 260-265 now definitely looking like physically he could develop into an interior lineman. And uh, a guy that's just a wrecking ball, he's a bull, he's uh, just um, violent um, attacks, Uh, he's got, you know, not much in terms of technique, and that's going to be something that, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron has to coach up. But you see just the physical, raw ability and the motor and the want to uh, from a guy that um, was really – I mean, there was nobody there at uh, the B2G elite camp from the offensive line that could really block him. Um, he was just, you know, not, not a guy that uh, – competition-wise is going to be very challenged much at that event. Um, so he looked really good, and he looks like he's you know, definitely progressing, like I said, physically, and that's important. And that's a guy that you're going to see down, uh, I think, with his hand on the ground. Um, when you're talking about uh, you know defensive end in that five-two uh, defense, uh, another guy that, that uh, USC offered not too long ago. This was uh, before Rising Stars was Matt Dickerson from San Mateo. Another guy who's at six-five, two hundred sixty-pound range, probably going to put his hand down in a five-two. He'll be a defensive end, but he's not going to be um, you know the defensive end out there in a the seven technique. He's going to be a defensive end at maybe a five technique, and uh, he's going to have his hand on the ground. And he's a guy that likes USC a lot. Um, I think, you know, Gerald McDowell is probably a defensive end. Uh, He's a guy that's, you know, 6'3", 255 pounds, uh, from Covington, Louisiana, uh, a kid that we saw at the opening. The Louisiana kids at the opening during the offensive line one-on-one drills weren't allowed to wear pads. It's kind of a state high school rule uh, with Georgia and Louisiana and a few different states, Michigan. Um, And so with him, he wasn't able to go in pads. But, you know, watching him without pads, Definitely uh, a guy that uh, has the quickness and uh, has the uh, the ability to get upfield enough to be a defensive lineman um, and the outside of a 5-2 type defense. Not going to put him at outside linebacker. He's not going to stand up. He's not going to be like Morgan Breslin or Devon Kennard, but he's going to be a guy that will play, you know, the the really more of a, if you're looking at it as a 4-3, he'd be a 3 technique, but because it's the 5-2, he's going to be a defensive end in that system. Um, same goes for Jared Willis third, another guy, you know, that's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, range, uh, 260 pounds, going to be a defensive end in the 5-2. He's another guy, like McDowell, wants to officially visit USC. Malik McDowell, another guy uh, from Detroit, Michigan, a guy that we saw in Chicago at the 5-Star Challenge. He's much bigger. He's more in that 6'5", 290-pound range, but still in the 5-2, you see him most likely playing defensive end. He would be more of, you know, what you would see from uh, Leonard Williams, a big, tall, rangy, you know, in a 4-3 system, that's a three technique. But in this defense, he's going to be a defensive end and a guy that uh, with that length can get upfield in a one-gap defense and really be hard on the passing game because he's so long, he really kind of takes up those passing lengths just with his hands getting up. Um, So those are the guys that you're looking at for defensive ends. The outside linebackers, it's, you know, like I said, not kind of another can of worms, the guys that they're looking at, but you gotta now as a USC fan, kind of put your mind into this set that, okay, <laughs> there's gonna be guys that, you know, you looked at in the past that were defensive ends as weak side rushers, uh, a guy even like Everson Griffin. Some of those guys now you're looking at as outside linebackers, and that's like Dorton, um, you know, Jalen Johnson, uh, and, and a few other guys, even a guy like uh, Richard the uh, III, who uh, we saw at the opening as well. He was at the Rising Stars camp, said a lot of great things about USC, said that uh, he wants to come back for an official visit. We'll kind of see how that goes. He ran a 4.98, which – Wasn't a a great time, but, you know, when you compare that to, again, like a Morgan Breslin or you're comparing it to Devon Kennard, you know, he's an outside linebacker, a guy that in previous years USC fans would think, well, maybe he should have his hand on the ground, a weak side defensive end, but nope. Because of the 5'2", now you're looking at a guy that's going to be standing up. And because he's not, you know, 4'6", or whatever, that's not a big deal because it's just a change in personnel. You know, those outside linebackers are going to be much more uh, aggressive at the line of scrimmage. You're going to play on the line of scrimmage. So you're going to take on more blocks. So really you're looking for more length. You're looking for more height and more power than you are just speed.
1: All right. Uh, Let's see. It's kind of a follow-up question. Not really, but it's from a different person, Martin in Ontario but it's also about linemen. He says, uh, for the players you've seen at the lineman camps or any camps in general, are there any defensive linemen or offensive linemen that aren't four or five stars because of their size, but they have a toughness or mean streak about them that can make up for their size and have USC's coaches on the fence about them? It seems like those players that have the mean streak in them just want to beat down whoever they face and not want to talk about their game, but show their game and what they can do. Love the show, fight on, and that's Martin R. in Ontario.
2: Well, that's tough only because the last few events that we've been to have, pro- have been pretty much the best of the best. So all the guys that we've seen are big four-star and five-star guys. Um, I-, I think, uh, you know, maybe Anu Tua uh, from Lompoc, defensive tackle, who's about 6'1", 265, 270 pounds, um, he's a guy that, uh, while you know, a four-star, not necessarily a big name, a marquee name. Um, he's definitely a player that uh, a lot of USC fans have been interested in uh, throughout the recruiting process because he's local, um, because uh, he's very good on film, and he's a guy that's very tenacious. And I think uh, he's going to be a player that USC has to look at and and could end up offering a scholarship to. Um, It really is going to depend on how things go with Deshaun Smallwood. Uh, Deshaun Smallwood, the guy who's, you know, right now he's verbal commitment from Fresno and been a verbal commitment since junior day, but wants to take all five of his official visits and actually just came out with a top five, which is kind of disheartening if you're a USC fan. And even I think the coaching staff, when a guy comes out, says he's verbally committed to you and then puts out a top five. That's just something that, you know, you you might want to go in a different direction. And I think uh, with that position, you're looking at Smallwood being a certain nose guard type player, a guy that's, uh, you know, only about 6 foot, uh, 280, 285 pounds. You're looking at a guy that's quick, that's got leverage. You're probably putting him over the center. Uh, The same thing probably with Ainu. The biggest difference with Ainu Toa is that Ainu is... I don't know how much bigger he's going to get. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a little bit of a question. If you look at the three, four variant fronts uh, that are being run in college football, and even in the NFL, but college football is a little easier to reference, um, you're looking at those guys that are nose guards that are all 320, 330 pounds. They are big guys. So these are guys that put on a lot of weight. Uh, they usually come out of high school weighing, weighing about 300 pounds. Um, it's tough to get a guy that's in that 270, 265 range, and then you're going to expect him to be 320. Um, I, I think that might be a bigger question with, uh, with Aini Toa and, and whether he gets a scholarship offer or not. Um, I think honestly, Austin Malata, it could be a guy that puts on more weight. I think frame wise is a little bigger guy, and seeing his progression, you know, from, you know, earlier this spring to B2G, he's definitely a guy that, I, I mean, He's definitely J.R. Tavai in in a sense that he can at least be that type of player, but frame wise, he may be able to put on even more weight and be more of a two hundred ninety time, uh, two hundred ninety pound type defensive lineman. Which again. You know, is that better a defensive end in this defense, or is that a guy that you can put over the center and make a nose guard, a, a nose guard, nose tackle? Uh, to me, I, I think if you're looking at what what is successful right now in college football, you got to go bigger. You got to go Michael Weiss, which is uh, uh, the kid from uh, um, East Los Angeles Junior College that USC has committed, six four, three hundred thirty pounds, JC transfer. That's really what you're looking for, uh, for that nose guard. That's that's the guy you're going to put over center and just tries to control the middle of the offensive line uh, with his power, with his size, and with quick feet. Not necessarily a guy that's going to get up field real fast, but a guy that has good lateral movement, and is not necessarily a two-gap guy, but can play in the kind of a two-gap type system and, and get away with controlling two gaps instead of just being a one-gap type quick, small, you know, get-past-you um, defensive lineman, which really would be more like Smallwood or Ainu uh, Toa. So that's going to be kind of the interesting thing right there. But I, I think, you know, of the guys that we've seen, and like I said, it's kind of been the elite of the elite, so there hasn't been too many uh, you know, off-the-wall, off-the-radar guys that just you know, kind of shocked you or surprised you. I think Toll would probably be the one guy um, that uh, maybe is not on that offer list that could end up being on the offer list uh, sometime in September.
1: All right. Uh, one more lineman question from Earl in West L.A. He says, I was wondering with Jordan Austin's verbal, the Trojans now have three offensive linemen. In the 2014 fold, including Jordan Poland and Teo Lobandon is USC done recruiting at this position? And what if a guy like Casey Tucker, a former Trojan verbal pledge, decides to return to the fold? No,
2: I don't think they're done. I, I, I've heard that USC's looking for three offensive linemen in this class. That's come up, um, even with uh, some of their verbal commitments. But I just can't imagine they're done with Damian Mama still being out there, and I kind of think he's the guy that kind of you know tops the class off. Six uh, four, two hundred or three hundred and seventy pounds. Came in at three sixty eight in Chicago. Was uh, right at three seventy uh, at the opening and uh, wasn't as dominant at the opening as he was in Chicago, but I kind of got a sense that uh, with full pads, and it was hot and humid in Beaverton this year. It was really hot and humid. I mean, it was surprising. It was kind of like the South. Uh, You know, we're talking about, I think, the first day we went up there, it ended up being like 98 degrees and 50% humidity or something. I think he kind of wore down as the event went on. And he's playing a lot of right tackle. Damian Mama is going to be a guard. I think you can get away with playing right tackle, but really he will be his most dominant playing guard. Um, I think, uh, you know, Deuce Latouille is a, is a good comparison to him. You know, obviously Deuce came in uh, from, I think it was Snow College. So he was a junior college guy that came in. So he was able to play. Kind of right away, and uh, and not necessarily miss a beat in terms of you know physically being able to step in on the offensive line. Damian will take a little longer just because he's a high schooler, but uh, he's going to be a tremendous player. Quick feet, great lateral feet, um, just great balance. Uh, you know, he, he got posterized a little bit by defensive end. T. Washington High School, Chad Thomas, and Chad Thomas actually came in and blew me away because I, I thought Chad Thomas was really more of a specialty type pass rusher. You know, he's been listed at like 6'4", 230 pounds, 6'5", 225 pounds. He came in at 6'5", 240 pounds, and was just a, a wrecking ball. I mean, he was fast had the speed and the skill and the finesse of a pass rusher, but just uh, on one play came up and just, just basically bull rushed Damian Mama. And I think Damian just wasn't even thinking that this guy was going to come in and bull rush him and just got his hands into his chest, put Damian Mama right on his back. And that's probably one of the few times in his entire life that Damian Mama has looked like a turtle on his back. And uh, that was kind of a, a, a highlight, surprising, shocking type rep, and there's, you know, they don't come uh, very often, and when they do come, you, you know, everybody kind of goes, whoa, and uh, that was uh, kind of one of those deals there, so he had, you know, Damian Mama had a few reps where he wasn't his best, and like I said, kind of looked tired, just kind of looked like you know, it had been a long summer for him. Um, and, you know, even at the B2G Elite Camp, he actually didn't participate a whole lot because of his knee. So I don't know how much his knee was hurting him. Don't want to give him any built-in excuses. But he still played great. And, you know, who else played great was Toa Lobendon. Kind of to digress a little bit, Toa Lobendon, who now is 6'3", 290 pounds, which, again, kind of a shocking little bit of a revelation there that also now he's at 290 pounds. This is a guy that was like 270 last year, um, was really good, ended up in the top five offensive linemen of the entire uh, event at the opening and played left guard, played even some left tackle. Um, You know, he kind of struggled early on in pass protection, But as time went on, uh, he started to play better. Um, he was a guy that took a lot of reps. I think you gotta give him a lot of credit for stepping up and taking rep after rep after rep. I mean, he was jumping in there and taking a ton of reps. He's very tenacious that way. And I think, you know, as an interior lineman, unless he grows more, which is possible. I mean, his dad, Vince, is a really tall, big guy, and I know I mentioned this a lot on the Peristyle, but, you know, you always have to kind of keep an eye out for the family tree and kind of, you know, how guys might, you know, turn out because of their bloodlines. His dad is a good 6'5", almost 6'6", so, you know, he could still grow and end up being the left tackle, but right now i kind of seen him really being maybe a center because he's got those long arms. Even though he's about 6'3", he's got those long arms, and now you got talking about 290 pounds, smart kid, early Rowley, I mean, you know, him, Damian mama. And then, you know, you'd like to you talk about with the two guys that are committed, Jordan Poland, Jordan Poland is going to be the left tackle and uh, Jordan Austin is going to be a right tackle. So, really how he fits in. I mean, that's, that's kind of your offensive line right there. you got a center, you got a guard, you got a right tackle, you got a left tackle. And I think that would be probably pretty sufficient for USC as a class. You know, we're going to see what happens with Damian Mama down the line, but that would be a pretty good, uh, a pretty good group there. And, I, you know, if, if FC has, you know, room somewhere, Vianney Talua is another guy that you, know, you might want to, you know, look at down the road. Uh, Corona Centennial guard, about 6'3", 285 pounds, 290 pounds. He's committed to Alabama. But a lot of people kind of feel like that commitment was just made just because Alabama's kind of the school right now. Never been to Alabama. I don't know if he's ever been that far uh, from home. I don't, think, I don't know if he's ever been east of Texas, actually, uh, Vianney. Um, so that's going to be one of those things that we're going to have to see what happens with that, too, because that's a pretty, uh, pretty impressive interior line. You know, if you've, uh, you've got Tali Maiavo, you've got uh, Damian Mama, and then you've got uh, Toto Lomadon with – you know, um, Jordan Austin and uh, Jordan Poland at the end at offensive tackle.
1: Uh, well, I feel bad. We have a. will uh, play it for you anyway. And if you have any other insights, we had a Damian Mama, um, voicemail question as well, but I'll, I'll play that for you. And if there's any other thoughts you can have, you can uh, share those too. Hi, my name is Francisco. Uh, I live in Arizona. And my question uh, is uh, for
0: Gerard Martinez. Um, What is the status with uh, Damian Mama? Uh, Does he have a favorite, or is it just really in the recruiting process to uh, really have an idea where he's leaning?
2: That was a perfect segue. Um, Damian (laughs) Mama, who we just talked a little bit about, he officially publicly has not named a favorite. Uh, There's no school that he says is really standing out. He's been pretty quiet about that. Um, as I said, you know, he's very close with Toa. He's close with, uh, Vianney. Um, you know, there's a, a great group of, uh, Samoan players that, uh, are, are coming out of Southern California this year. And they really were very close there at the opening. They hung together. I called them the Oos crew. Um, they were always around each other. And so there's a little bit of tug and pull going on. You know, Viani's trying to get him to Alabama. Toa uh, Toa's trying to get him to USC, my vibe is that USC is the clear leader. I think, um, you know, family wise, I think he's grown up a USC fan. I think he likes USC. I think he ends up wanting to stay close to home with his family. And I just think that that's kind of where the outcome uh is headed right now. Things can change. And obviously with USC, and you know, I've said this, and I have to say it almost every recruiting podcast, you know, so much is going to impact recruiting on the field this year. You know, if, if, if USC can't win and the coaching staff not going to be there, then you have to go and start to look at who, who, what coaches are going to be there. How are they going to recruit? How well are they going to recruit? What kind of ties do they have to Southern California? What kind of ends do they have with specific recruits? Were they recruiting this region uh, when they came from their previous jobs? Um, you know, If USC wins and Lane Kiffin is still there, you know, how are they able to follow up uh, with recruiting? This staff has been a very good recruiting staff, and like I said, they still seem to have their – their brand in the heads of some of the top kids nationally, even out of state. So it's not like, you know, they can't win 11, 12 games, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, they pull in a top recruiting class. So I think it's really a positive thing for USC in both ways because I think if they win – You get 12 games, 11 games this season. I think this staff with Lane Kiffin is a really good recruiting staff. They're going to get their guys. They're going to build on that momentum of having a winning season and, and probably going to a BCS bowl game. And if, this staff can't do it. I think USC brings in a staff that's still going to be a good recruiting staff because I think there's still a a great understanding of the value of having guys that can go out there and, and recruit nationally and maybe, you know, be even a little better about the local guys. I think that's maybe if there's one criticism is, you know, having a little more emphasis on recruiting Southern California first and locking it down. And, you know, if you bring in a new coaching staff, that's going to be talking point number one. We're going to put a fence around our backyard. It's what every coach says that's uh, hired in a region that's got a great talent pool and obviously Southern California and California general, fantastic talent pool. So that's going to be talking point one. Uh, But definitely still a coaching staff with, you know, those type of uh, ties in other regions where you can, you know, kind of pickpocket a few guys from maybe a Florida or Louisiana or Georgia or back east in Virginia, wherever it may be. So um, it's kind of, I I think, going to be positive for, for USC from recruiting front Either way, but still, things are going to be impacted. Things are going to change. It's going to be kind of a a little bit of a roller coaster to see how it all plays out. And one of those guys like Damian Mama, that's why so many schools are lined up from out of state, like Oklahoma and Alabama and Notre Dame and, you know, Florida. They want to see if USC slips up and maybe, you know, they don't, they don't, uh, make the right hire, or, or, or something happens where there's hesitation where they can convince a kid like that to come out of state, which I think otherwise he wouldn't leave home.
1: All right. Uh, oh, there was one other one from Earl in West LA. He wanted to know about David Sills, the uh, USC quarterback commit. He goes, Is he a senior now or a junior? And if he's a senior, we'll be enrolling next spring. He's actually a junior class of 2015. And uh, Gerard wrote some stuff about him competing with uh, Josh Rosen, the St. John Bosco. 2015 quarterback at the uh, USC Rising Stars camp.
2: Yeah, Josh Rosen, Enrique Town. We actually have a follow up with Josh Rosen. Uh, that's probably going to go up later tonight, maybe tomorrow morning, um, just talking with him more about USC and the USC scholarship offer. And, um, you know, Stanford's his big leader. Um, But, you know, Ricky Town, the quarterback uh, out of uh, Ventura St. Bonaventure High School, had a great showing at the Rising Stars camp. Uh, That's really one of the things where everybody loses because we're not there to cover the Rising Stars camp. You know, that's on the NCAA. That's part of their sanctions. It was kind of a, a little kind of backhanded Type penalty that they gave USC, where they had to close down their camps to the public and thus to the media, and so we couldn't be there to see that showdown. But you had the top, you know, three 2015 quarterbacks, um, and maybe you know three of the top guys nationally. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people saying Josh Rosen might be one of the top five players. In the country, and that means Ricky Town is probably going to be right up there too, because i 'm hearing Ricky Town from an efficiency standpoint, may actually had a better camp than Josh Rosen david sills, who 's committed USC and, like Ryan said, is a junior, and he will be enrolling as a mid year two thousand and fifteen. Not quite as good. Definitely hurt. You know, from everybody that I talked to, the consensus was he was a notch below those two guys. Really, I think the thing that jumped out everybody is just arm strength. I mean, you're looking at Josh Rosen; he's got a cannon for an arm. He's a guy that can chuck the ball 65, 70 yards. Uh, Ricky Towns actually got a much better arm than a lot of people think too. Um, So I I think you know when you're talking spectators and people are watching, they all they all watch the arm strength and can he make all the throws? And I think that's the one thing where Sills just doesn't necessarily. stack up but you know as we've seen with plenty of quarterbacks throughout time you know Joe Montana being one example it's not always about arm strength you know there's a lot of other factors that go into playing quarterback so how USC plays that do they go ahead and offer scholarships to Josh Rosen and Ricky Town or one or the other with David Sills already committed that's going to be an interesting thing to watch we're going to see how that all kind of plays out Um, but it's very possible that that happens in fact I would lean towards thinking they're going to have to offer uh, Town and, and Rosen and just kind of have to figure it out as it goes along and see how uh, the season plays out and see how recruiting plays out.
1: All right, uh, let's see. Let's go to Rundy. Run DMC. Rundi, just Rundy, just um, R U N D Y. Not Run DMC. I don't think so. Though we, we could ask him. Rundy, right in. If you were a member of Run DMC ever, uh, he says Gerard several occasions, you have speculated that USC was not offering Dwight Williams, he's talking about the uh, 2014 Sarah linebacker, because of his size. Now they get a verbal from uh, DJ Calhoun, who is the same size or even smaller. You could make the case that Calhoun has had several buddies that USC is targeting. However, the same can be said for Williams. This perplexes me. It seems that USC is still recruiting speed instead of size. I'd like to see them stockpile more stars and ruffins kids with body to grow and get back to smash mouth football like stanford and alabama after all look at what smash mouths did to speed when stanford played oregon last year what's your thought on his verbal thank you guys i enjoy everything you do but the trojan blast is my favorite it's a blast that's rundy very
2: good point and i think uh it's not one that i would necessarily want to play devil's advocate for because i i kind of agree with usc kind of has to get from personnel standpoint bigger at the linebacker spot and obviously dj calhoun is is not bigger but what i will say is that he definitely plays bigger and i think if the comparison is between dwight williams and Derek Calhoun, Derek Calhoun is a contact initiator. He is a guy that is at the point of the spear, whereas uh, Dwight Williams is really more of a will-type linebacker that you want in a 4-3 and a guy that kind of cleans up plays, a guy that gets a lot of assisted tackles and not necessarily a lot of solo tackles. He's really good in space. He's a very good coverage uh, uh, linebacker, very athletic, but not necessarily a guy that you want as an enforcer. Derek Calhoun is that. Although they are roughly the same size, Calhoun is a guy that's going to go out there and he's going to take on lead blocks. That's just how he plays, contact-wise, instinct-wise. He's a guy that physically goes out there and plays to bang guys. And you want him in there, you know, taking on those blocks. And in a 5-2 system, you're more of an inside linebacker than you are, um, you know, kind of a a floating kind of space eater, um, sideline to sideline than you are in a 4-3. So he's going out there as an inside linebacker, getting north and south and playing the gaps. And so I think from that standpoint, really different players, And, and I've said this, you know, and I've even been, you know, corrected by uh, some of DJ's people. Um, you know, he's really good in seven on seven, and he's good everywhere he goes. He's been very good everywhere he's gone, and, and surprisingly so, especially in Chicago. And it was funny because you know, there's so much going on at these camps. Sometimes I gotta like look over the film that we have taken. You know, and so it was one of those things where I just didn't get to see a lot of Derek um, in Chicago at the Five Star uh, Challenge. And so Ryan actually put up HD video of him at the five-star challenge, and it was ISO film, and I just got to sit back and kind of watch him and go watch him in drills and watch him in 7-on, watch him move, and, and really was impressed. I, I was much more impressed than I thought I would have been, um, just kind of watching him at a glance and seeing, oh, yeah, they're, you know, Derek Calhoun, okay, how's he looking on this play? Okay, cool. Okay, now I've got to go look at somebody else. You know, that's kinda of what you're doing when you're there in person. But being able to watch him just isolated and this is why we take this ISO video for you guys, because I mean it, it really gives you a breakdown of how this kid moves in space especially when you're talking about seven on seven you know how he is with the ball in the air how much awareness he has and he actually played really really well he went to the opening ran a 466 very very good time for a linebacker granted he's got to get bigger he's got to be 230 235 pounds to really be able to play that inside position and be successful so the question is can he put on that weight and that's a hard question to answer really for me at this point. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I think in terms of his style of play, he definitely fits. He definitely fits the five, two much more than Dwight Williams. And I think that's probably the biggest deal with USC and, and and probably the biggest reason why one has an offer and is committed and the other one doesn't have an offer.
1: All right. Uh, we got one last one and, uh, I think JJB sent this in before, and I think we avoided it, but I, I we'll just throw it in here now since we're going to finish He <laughs> <it>. avoided it? <laughs> I, think, I think I was just like, I don't know if we want to rehash some of this stuff. But he wants to know about Eddie Vanderdose. Uh, what is it that turned Eddie Vanderdose off to USC? He was committed and said as long as Coach O was there, he would be committed. Then he changed his mind and went to Notre Dame. But when he decided to leave Notre Dame, he no longer considered USC. Was it just USC's collapse at the end of 2012 there must be a reason why he soured on USC.
2: Yeah, I think it I think it had a lot to do with just USC not playing well, not having the buzz. I think Eddie definitely jumped around from team to team. It kind of seemed like the schools that uh were there at the end in the bowl season were the schools that he kind of became more interested in, you know? I mean, Alabama kind of came from nowhere and then it was Notre Dame and I think he comes back to UCLA because UCLA was probably the last school really in his ear. Now, technically, they are not allowed to be in his ear. I mean, once he commits to Notre Dame, but there's you know a lot of uh, a lot of overlap with people that he knows and people that uh, UCLA defensive line coach um, Angus McClure knows. Angus McClure's from Auburn, California. He knows uh, Eddie's off-season trainer. I, I think I said it. Probably I know I said it to several people. I just don't know if I said it on record on the podcast. But I kind of felt like. The last school in Eddie Van Dose's ear and in his head was going to be the school that got him, and I thought it would be UCLA because of that factor, because his uh, his defensive line coach slash trainer, uh, is good friends with Angus McClure, and there was that connection and that relationship there, and they would be able to be in his ear, um, you know, even when, you know, it couldn't call and and you used to have that dead period going up till signing day. Um, I think Notre Dame was, you know, hoopla, and and he kind of got sucked into some of that. And and the same thing with Alabama. I just didn't see why he would even visit Alabama, quite frankly, Um, just – personality wise and, and, you know, from what I knew of him and, and seen of him, it just didn't seem to be a real good fit outside the fact that Alabama was the at school and they've won national championships and everybody was talking about Alabama. So that kind of, I mean, that from uh, an outside perspective kind of seemed to be how the dominoes were falling. And, um, and I think that's why USC just wasn't, wasn't in the picture at the end. I, I think it just had to be, you know, one of those things where, they didn't win. There's questions about, uh, you know, the coaching staff, um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously a lot of negative publicity from, um, having that season just kind of the bottom fall out.
1: All right. Well, Gerard, great. Let's that on a cheering note, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I guess I should have, maybe I should have <laughs> saved that one. Well, we could end on one other, I mean, we're, we're still good on time. One other note, if you want to, if there's some over the last three events that you've been covering, uh, is there something something positive you could see for <laughs> USC recruiting? Something positive. I tell working? you, I think with USC, um, there, there's,
2: there's the opportunity to have a, a few more uh, verbal commitments. We're going to kind of see how USC plays it. Last year, they were insistent on, you know, having basically a full class before the season started. That's not going to happen this year, obviously. Um, But, you know, if they want to gather a a few more verbal commitments, I think they could do it. You know, there's one kid out there that we've talked about in this podcast already that is a silent commitment from what I understand. And we know, you know, silent commitments don't mean much. Heck, verbal commitments don't seem to mean much these days. Um, But a a guy that could, you know, definitely pop before the end of the summer. I I think they've actually got two or three guys that – could, could commit to USC um, before the end of the summer. Um, we're just going to kind of see how it all shakes out. It's one of those things that uh, I, I think, um, you know, the the teams that are out there that are recruiting against USC, those coaches and those schools are definitely, you know, they're, they're trying to to, you know, get the season to play out, try to, you know, extend the recruiting season a little more, And, you know, seeing how and what happens with the season, if there has to be a coaching change, then they think there's an opportunity there to go in and and steal kids and and grab kids. And I think that there's definitely some of those, you know, kind of negative recruiting tactics going on to try to prolong the process to some extent. Uh, But at the same time for USC, I don't necessarily know that it's a great thing that they have to, you know, grab kids and, and have early verbal commitments. Um, especially if those kids, you know, turn around and say, hey, we want to, you know, go ahead and take 05 of my official visits. Uh, we saw that happen with UCLA, actually, just, uh, you know, uh, last month at the end of the month, they had, um, you know, two... Uh, kind of big uh, junior college of uh, verbal commitments at the offensive line. Um, they had Demetrius Knox come in on an unofficial, uh, unofficial visit, and he was talking up UCLA. Um, and at one point, you know, uh, Derek Calhoun and Malik Dorton uh, were both uh, kids that were heavy leads to UCLA. Malik Dorton almost committed to UCLA. Um, and, and DJ Calhoun, a lot of people thought, was on the cusp of committing to UCLA earlier in the spring. And also now, you know, D.J. Calhoun's committed to USC. Uh, you know, Malik Dorton could be a guy that's committed, you know, maybe at the end of the summer to USC. Um, and the two verbal commitments that they have in the offensive line, both those guys look like they've, you know, they've flipped and they're going to go somewhere else. One is already at Alabama. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we have to take it with a grain of salt. Recruiting at this point and this time of the year, it really, it really doesn't mean as much as it used to. You, if you can grab those kids that you know, I think like a Jordan Austin, you know, the offensive tackle from Claremont, you know, six, 260 pounds, a kid that is going to, you know, develop a lot, a guy that loves USC, you know, he may be interested in taking a visit or two, but he's going to be an early enrollee and you get the sense that he's invested in USC, you know, committed, right. Basically on the spot, um, Uh, really likes USC, really good student, you get to feel like USC is kind of his school. And in that case, you know, I think, you know, getting those verbal commitments and kind of establishing a base structure for the class you know, Tor Lobendon, who's up there at the opening, and, you know, he's got his SC uh, insignia, you know, kind of cut into his hair. He's talking SC to all, uh, you know, the, the Polynesian kids up there, and, and, you know, he's sitting there talking to Cameron Robinson, who's, uh, you know, a big time left tackle from uh, Monroe, Louisiana, who was one of the better players there. You know, he's talking to about going to USC on an official visit. So you have you know that kind of base group that kind of is the foundation of a recruiting class. I think in that case, you know, you want those guys to commit early, and you want to kind of kind of start to build that earlier in the year. Um, so uh, you know, the other players that you're after. You, uh, you're after have some reference, you know, and they can call up DJ Calhoun and say, you know, why did you commit to USC or, you know, what's up with the USC? What did you like about USC? And they can kind of speak on it. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think, you know, it, it, it probably would behoove USC to have maybe a few more verbal commitments. Um, if they can get those guys that are really solid and, and you know, they, they want to pretty much shut down the recruiting process. So um, I think that's a possibility here at the end of the summer. But, like I said, you know, we'll see what
1: happens. Yes, we will see. All right. Well, thanks again, Gerard. It was uh, great we haven't had a show for a little while, so it's good to get some updates and answer all the questions that are out there. And thanks, to everyone else, for sending in those questions. And, uh, Gerard, great stuff as always. Thanks. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll have to do it uh, at some point where we can break down
2: individual events instead of trying to we had. I think we had three camps in seven days. So, and I was traveling. I was in yeah. the air most of the time and driving back and forth to Westwood and all kinds of crazy stuff. So we couldn't stop and do a podcast and say, "All right, you know, we're trying to put <laughs> up like content after content as a content item, not necessarily a time to you know stop and be able to talk about it all." So uh, you know, that's kind of why we had to smash it all together. But like Ryan said, USCFootball.com, the Parastyle. That's why you actually subscribe to the site because we have all the updates and. You know the kids are basically speaking for themselves on those stories and analysis, and you get to see them guys like DJ Calhoun and video yourself.
1: Exactly, and you uh, you won't find any better USC recruiting information anywhere else on the web than USCFootball.com. And Gerard Martinez is a huge reason for that. So thanks again, Gerard, and uh, everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back on Monday with our regular Peristyle Podcast show. Thanks again for tuning in.